0: Good evening East Lansing, Michigan. I'm your host Fino. We're talking a lot of stuff today. Uh, Michigan State football clinching the Legends division. Boom, what a win for Michigan State. Best defense in the country? We'll debate. What about MSU Soccer? Guest Ryan Keener comes on. Defender, we'll talk about their big Sweet 16 matchup against Georgetown. And Dan Dickerson calls in for the Tigers. What about that question of Prince Fielder? We'll debate only on The pack. Live from Impact
1: Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus, this is The Pact, and your host, Fino.
0: Matt, that is right, your host Fino alongside, good to be with everyone here back on The Pact. Happy Monday to everyone, Well, 6.59 Eastern, we're early today guys. November twenty fifth. It's cold, snowy. slanting's a tundra, and I hate it. Alongside, of course, Fino, panels, Harry, turn up, Austin. How you doing, Faith What's and that? Lou? Behind What's the glass. What's up, guys? Lou, you're, the mustache is still looking pretty decent.
1: Thank you. It's, it's coming day.
0: Nice. What is it of the mustache?
1: Uh, twenty
0: five. Wow. So obviously, no shame November twenty fifth day with the mustache. There's always a day to celebrate, and it's Thanksgiving week. So you know our last show before Thanksgiving. So more importantly. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone here at the Pact and at Impact. It's good to be on air on 88.9 FM. As usual, hopefully we won't have any bad callers this time. Remember to call yes. us 517-432-3893. I promise you, you can't use swear words on air. You won't be on air. It'll just be weird.
2: You and know what? At least we're making an impact on other people's lives. Right? <laughs> to come on the show and actually swear in public like that, we're making an impact. We're I'm making exactly. we're we're more, on the more haters, more
3: haters. <laughs> more yeah. haters.
0: Well, I do like Gatorade, but not particularly Haterade. So, let's go into our first discussion, guys. Michigan State football, they clinched the Legends division. They beat, oof, that Northwestern team looked terrible. Michigan State wins. Coach T was pretty angry at halftime. Quint Kesnick, the ESPN reporter... You know, let's just say he wasn't giving any any easy questions now, um can they beat Ohio State? I know they got this game with Minnesota in the in between. Something we got to talk about is first of all, Harry, what did you think about
3: this game? This game was awesome. mSU was the favorite coming in. It was a windy day, chilly day a lot of the, a lot of times that makes it tough for the offense, but kind of Cook came out and performed. Langford came out and performed one hundred fifty yards two touchdowns. He's having a great year Cook. I think the biggest uh, stat for him was no interceptions. I mean, that's the thing with Cook is he's not turning the ball over. That's all we need, yeah. And
0: and I think with Michigan State is you need a game manager, and that's what Connor Cook is, guys. He's a game manager, Faith. They play well, and look, Faith, they're flying high, and they're balling. So what do you think about Michigan State? Harry loves him. I love him. Love him. Can't,
4: Can't do anything but love him. The Spartans won with defense, too, which I think is very important, along with that offense, like you said, Harry, with Langford and Cook. But the Spartans won with defense. It was a defense that would bend but not break. In other words, they gave up quite a few yards, but they only had two field goals given up on them.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you look at Michigan State, there's two field goals, the defense played stout. Mm, Goodman, I liked what Mich- What I saw to Michigan. I know, nice grunt there. But <laughs> I liked what I saw to Michigan State. But the thing is, the thing is with them is, can they beat Ohio State? Are we getting to do ahead of ourselves? Maybe.
2: You know, we, I, I really don't, Think that Michigan State can beat Ohio State simply because Ohio State is just better. Uh, they're they're stronger. They're smarter. Uh-huh. They're a better football team this season. I mean, they're getting national title looks right now. I they are. You know, it's going to be a hard game for Michigan State University.
0: Well, tough game. They'll cross that bridge when they get there. Yeah, absolutely. We got to bring Lou back in the discussion, Lou. Everyone here is really praising Michigan State. This team is built to win one loss. Now you're sitting pretty, what, 11? Ah, it's, it's, you lose track every getting time.
1: Getting greedy, getting greedy there. Yeah, me. I know, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, okay, so you have 10 wins. But here's the thing. What do you like out of the team?
1: I mean, I, I don't think there's anything to dislike right now. And I, I, I think it's hard to measure where we're going to be against Ohio State because of what our schedule has been. And without without that, a team to measure yourself on, I don't know. I I think that they can beat Ohio State. I don't think that they will, but I think that they can if things fall into place. And the way Connor Cook is looking, the way he's been developing, and the way his confidence has been growing, uh, I think that all signs point to a strong MSU performance, if not a win.
4: Yeah, I think that's really important to point out that, of course, Connor Cook looks stellar in these tough tough conditions. In the last three road games, he had a 75% completion rate, and I think that's tremendous. Six touchdowns, and like you said, Harry, no interceptions. No
0: interceptions. No interceptions. He doesn't turn the ball over, Harry. And here's the thing. You look at this Michigan State team, okay, last week they allowed four touchdowns, whatever, fine. But here's a team that in all these weeks, they're not allowing a lot of touchdowns, Harry. Their defense, I feel like, every week is getting better and better.
3: The defense is stout. I think that's the best adjective to use for them. No touchdowns in four of the last five games. And they've shut out teams in the second half five of the last seven games. And also against Ohio State, I think our defense will be the great equalizer. I don't think they'll be able, Braxton Miller and Carlos Hyde will be able to move the ball as easily as they have been against other teams. And also, we have played an easy schedule, like Lou said, but we have done well with that easy schedule. We lost that one game to Notre Dame. I don't know if we lost that game or the rest gave Notre Dame that game. I'm tired of these Dukes, these Notre Dames, all these perennial great teams mm. getting all the calls from the referees. But other than that, we, all 10 of our whims, wins have come by more than 12 points. If you think about that, ten wins, every game we've won by more than twelve points. Yeah, I mean that's
0: impressive. But here is my thing, though. Forget the refs for a second. Forget the refs. I think here is the Michigan State team. I know it was very early in the season. It was like September or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Look, you can't blame the refs. You can say how bad the refs were. You know, we're calling stuff, the pass interference or whatever it was. But look, Cook lost that game. Coaching was bad that game. Michigan State was awful. They're a totally different team. They are. are. They're a totally different team now than they were in September. Mm -hmm. So if you look at Michigan State, it's a tale of two teams. It's getting hot at the right time, Goody, and they're hot. Absolutely, but so is Ohio State. I mean, they're smoking. I mean, they just keep going
2: hard, and I don't know if Michigan State, their immaturity could get them past the superiorness of Ohio State. Well,
0: all right, well, Lou, let's bring in that. What do you got?
1: Well, I think, I think Harry said it earlier. He said the great equalizer is the defense. Yeah, I mean, And that's the part of our team that is not immature. Our offense is always the question mark. That's what's going to be the question mark. And honestly, that's why I still would put my money on Ohio State because our offense is a question mark as far as maturity goes. But that defense, if they're going to show up, which they will, I can guarantee that, it's going to be a close game no matter what. And if the offense can show, it's going to be MSU.
3: Another fact about the defense is Narduzzi does a great job of getting these guys ready to play. He really everybody does. Was, I mean, the, the guy's but, outstanding. Everybody was wondering how he would do against that Michigan offense who was hyped up before the game and we came out like animals. You could just see it in their eyes. They do not They do not want anybody getting any yards, getting any touchdowns. They love the challenge. So for these guys, for Calhoun, for Bolo, for Darquez Denard to hear everybody talk about Carlos Hyde and talk about Braxton Miller, I think they're going to come out fired up. And that just reflects on the great coaching they have.
4: I think the off- offense benefits from the defense. You see, Langford got 150 yards for two touchdowns, and that's good bla- blocking on the line. They're mm-hmm. opening up holes for him to run through. Yeah. It's perfect.
0: I think, I think Faith makes a good point is, look— If the defense plays well, the offense is going to carry that momentum to sling them forward. Look, when the defense plays poor, which they rarely don't, the offense is going to struggle to find their rhythm. But if you look at this team, they do play well. But I'm going to break the bank here a little bit. Faith kind of broke that door open. I'm just going to walk right through it. Here's the thing. Jeremy Langford for me, has been the X factor. Not Connor Cook. I know there are no turnovers. People are actually catching the ball. There is still some drops. But I think it's Langford for me, he's rushing the ball. They're getting him the ball. And he's confident. And he's confident while doing it. This is why Michigan State's effective, ground-and-pound pro offense.
2: Absolutely. If you shut down Jeremy Langford, you're shutting down the Michigan State offense. And that is scary going against a number three Ohio State. We play Minnesota at the end of the year. It's not going to be a challenge for Michigan State. Michigan State's going to play this team. They're going to walk on them. It's going to be a myrtle. I really think, I don't that they're think going it's going to walk. Gonna,
0: on I them. do not think it's going to be a walk. I no. think Wisconsin I, Wisconsin, I think Minnesota is a very good team. I think we have to give credit where credit is due. What Jerry Kill has done with that staff is outstanding. If you would sit here and tell me, Fino, you know what? They were going to win eight games this season. Potentially, uh, they'll lose. So, you know, if you told me Minnesota was going to go eight and four, Divisio, I told you. I don't know what you're eating, but it ain't cabbage, I'll tell you that.
1: I know, I, I mean, I'm shocked at their record also. 8-4. And and, I know. And Assuming I think, they lose, they're 8-3. I don't think that they're going to be able to walk all over Minnesota, and I don't think that they no, think they're, they're going to be able to, and I think that's why they're going to be successful, just like they were at Northwestern. People thought Northwestern was going to be a sleeper game, you know? Maybe this. state looked awful. They did, and I think it's because of that attitude that the coaching staff gets this team going, like it's the last game. every they're not thinking about Ohio State. they're yet. not they're thinking about We Minnesota. are, but they're not. We are they're not. They're focused on the task at hand. And I think they're going to do well.
0: I think Coach D said something, guys, okay, We'll, we'll get Jaden on this. Coach D said something, and he said that this Minnesota game essentially could be a play into an at-large PCS poll. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be top 14 to even be considered for an at-large, and we'll have that discussion whether, okay, should it be Wisconsin in the at-large? Should Michigan State lose? I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but Harry, this Minnesota team is good. They deserve some respect, and Michigan State... Needs to be cognizant that this opponent can play some good football.
3: Yes, and you talked about how it's surprising what Minnesota's record is. It's also extremely surprising what Michigan State's record is. I and agree. They, and they know that, so they come in every week to have a chip on their shoulder. But a big fact, this is a, this is a historical fact, this is the first time MSU can ever go 8-0 in Big Ten. That would be the first time ever. So this game is a huge program builder. Also, three of the last four se- seasons, we've had six Big Ten wins. So we've been here before. We do. We might have a young quarterback in Connor Cook, first year as a starter, but the rest of the team has been here before. We know how to handle the situation. I mean, look, you look
0: at the situation, it's simple. Michigan State knows how to handle themselves, but you, if you really want to look at how they play, they understand their opponent. They're looking at Minnesota. They're not looking at Ohio State. That's just what Sparty does, is they play good, solid football. And look, they're rock solid.
2: They're... I mean, did you? Did anybody here expect us to put up 41 points against Nebraska? Uh,
0: no, no, but I didn't expect them to allow 28. Uh, okay. You could spin it that way. Yeah, you could, but you have to look at it from,
2: I mean, I guess we're trying to look at it from the benefit of Michigan State, from what I was saying, was we were going to walk on Minnesota. I still, I'm going to back myself on that. You know, we're, we put up 41 points against a great Nebraska team. We can put up a lot of points against a really strong Minnesota
0: team. Let, I me, mean, let me ask you off the record, and this is just for you. What do you think the final score of the game is going to be? I mean, I don't, I'm not. I mean, I'm putting you on the spot completely, on air. I <laughs> mean, right now, I have it
2: written in as okay. 38 to 17. All right, so but, you
0: said they're a 14 and a half point favorite. Right. Do you think Michigan State covers? Yes. Okay, that's fair because I do too. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to be a blowout. But Shard's like, oh my God, two touchdowns, a blowout. It's like, all right, Shard. But Divizio, what do you got on that one?
1: I think I, I'm kind of with Goodman, and because I think, I think it's because MSU doesn't think that they're going to walk all over. Mm-hmm. Goodman thinks that they will. I, yeah. I tend to agree with him, but I think it's that mentality, like I said, that they're going to have a tough goal, they're going to have a rough and tough game, and Minnesota's not going to give them an inch, and I think that's why they'll be able to walk over them.
0: Yeah, I understand that Minnesota's going to play really tough, though, but look, I just want to spin it to the side here. First of all, what about Michigan State special teams? How great has Michigan State's special teams been? You know, I think one thing that the defense doesn't get credit for is how well Mike Sadler's been playing. Mike Sadler's been an exceptional punter of late, okay? Actually, this whole season. And the way he's been turning the field up for Michigan State, he puts their offense, and I meant the other team's offense, in an impossible situation. And then you look at what Mike Sadler does, it's exceptional, and he can't go under the fact. Before I get to Harry, I have to rant, because Mike Sadler is not... I repeat, not a top three finalist for the Ray Guy Award, which is top hunter in the country, and he's not a finalist. Sadler went over to Twitter and he said, quote, call it what you want, but at the end of the day, playing in Pasadena easily trumps any individual award, exclamation point, end quote. Happened in the past hour. So here's someone that's not bitter, but he's like, you know what, let's take the high run on this because guess what? There's nothing better than playing for the granddaddy of them all, and that's Pasadena.
3: Yep, and the reason Sadler is so good is because he's had so much practice in the past couple years. Yeah, last right. Year, last year he was punting so many times a game because our our offense wasn't great. He's getting slammed. But another Hashtag aspect, Andrew of, Maxwell. Yeah, another <laughs> aztec, uh, Another aspect of the special teams is our kicker, Michael Gleekart, a freshman. He's twelve for thirteen on field goals for the year. Yeah, and that's great. A lot of those, a lot of those field goals are in the wind, outdoor venues. We're not playing in warm climates. We're playing in a cold climate, so that's great for a freshman kicker to go out and do that. Geiger, yeah,
0: that's the thing. I think special teams here is the unsung hero of Michigan State. The offensive gets a lot of criticism. Defense is, oh my God, they're the best. But what about special teams?
2: I mean, our special team, or Michigan State's special teams play in the elements. They're used to playing in the elements. They, we're, we are in Michigan. All right, we are based in the m- basement of Holden, Pure Michigan. The Michigan State University <laughs> football team is going to always be prepared for yeah. the worst when it comes to something coming down right over you.
0: I agree. I think Michigan State's going to always have them so prepared. I forget who what Pack Panel said it. It was like Coach uh, Narduzzi, I think it was Harry. Coach Narduzzi always has the guys ready to play. Pat Narduzzi is an exceptional offensive coordinator. His defense ready to play offensively speaking, they're ready to play of lately. But special teams, to me, doesn't get a lot of credit. They flip the field easily, and I think that's something to notice, Faith.
4: Give credit where credit is due. I mean, absolutely. Geiger, incredible. He's very, very accurate, as you can see from his stats. And Sadler, great punter in the country. He's smart and strategical, though. He can place the punt exactly where he wants it.
0: I agree. I mean, the only thing with Geiger where you could pick like a little bone on, would be, okay, he's missed two extra points. One was blocked, I think, last week, or whatever it was, and then one he just shanked. So, he's missed two extra points, but then field goal, he's had 13 attempts, he's made 12 of them, okay, and I look at that, and that's a very solid percentage. He's 3-for-3 three three inside, 20-29. to 29, He's 3-for-4, and here's my stat that I love. Clutch kicks from 40-49 to 49 yards, tough kicks, Gubin mentioned it, being in the elements, he's 6-for-6. Six six. He hasn't missed a big kick, and I think that's like Michigan State that's huge and when Kevin Muma will fill in he's the kickoff guy mm-hmm. he'll fill in he's four for six he's only you know three for four inside 20s stuff like that so he's been solid but I think Geiger plus 40 has been solid now no one has they have not attempted a kick inside 50 yards so you can go figure that something outside or in or outside of 50 yards is going to be maybe a fake or something like that. And then that factors into the special teams, the fake punts. I think that's something Mark D'Antonio knows to have the ability to call this fake punt or whatnot. I think is exceptional, and you can't get over the fact. And not even to mention how bad the clock management was in that second, in that first half. Coach D'Antonio was pissed, and he had every right to be because it was absolutely awful. I couldn't. He didn't even want to ask any. He didn't want to answer any questions. Rather, at the end of that, at the end of the half, how could you? They squandered like half a minute doing nothing in the middle of the field, doing absolutely nothing, when they could have pushed the ball and gave this guy another kick. I think those are the points against Ohio State, a team that you have to execute against. Northwestern is terrible. They haven't won a game since they were 4-0, college game day. Oh, my God. Wow. Cats. No, you're bad. You're (laughs) bad. I'm I'm sorry, they're bad. It's a bad athletic program and a team that needs to go after them. Michigan State did. Enough of the cookie-cutter games. Fino's ranting.
2: I mean that's going to completely replicate into this Ohio State game. You have to understand we're not playing elite teams yet. Ohio State is a very elite team. They're they good. Scary. They're scary for us. You know, uh, for any person How watching sp- college football, I would be afraid of Ohio State.
0: I agree. Ohio State's a dominant team, but let's not forget people that last year Michigan State if they had a competent offense. If that offense could, someone had a pulse. They beat Ohio State and Mich- in, in East Lansing. Here's a team that could have won, Lou. They could have won against Ohio State at home. I understand it's a different team this year. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Fine. But the point is, look, Ohio State's a good team. You can't overlook it. But this is a team that's going to go on all, all octane, on all cylinders, and bring it. Absolutely. And you cannot make any mistakes. No against mistakes this team. against.
1: A team Not like one that. mistake. And I. I think that maybe getting these mistakes out of the way like the poor clock management in the first half against a team like Northwestern, I think that might be a good thing so that you see how D'Antonio reacts. The team knows what's going on. They know that they made that mistake, and they know that that's never going to happen again. And I think they know that they're going to have to be uh, mistake-free because that's the only way that you're going to beat an undefeated team.
3: What do you think, Harry? Yeah, and the thing I liked about D'Antonio getting PO'd at halftime is the fact that MSU came out after halftime. They probably took a verbal lashing in the locker room. Oh, I know they did. Yeah, they came out to play, which is is great (laughs) to see the team respond like that because they're they're most likely going to need a verbal lashing against Ohio State. They're going to face adversity against the great teams when we play those great teams.
0: Look, Urban Meyer will always have his troops ready to play. I understand we're getting ahead of ourselves. We have next week's show. We can talk about Mm -hmm. the red all we want because you know Michigan's going to get absolutely trounced. Okay, against Ohio State, they're going to lose at least by 28 points. But forget the team in Maize and Blue. The point I'm trying to say is Ohio State will click on all cylinders. No matter what, they're going to click on all cylinders, and they're going to freaking bring it. They are going to absolutely bring it. So if you're Michigan State, you have to realize, look what your M.O. is. It's pro style. It's not gimmicky. Braxton Miller, run this, run that. Carlos Hyde, Jeremy Langford, hand off the ball and play some good football. Smash
2: Mouth. So I want to throw the question back at you. Okay. What do, you think, what do you think the score is going to be for the Michigan State-Ohio State game?
0: What do I think the score is going to be Michigan State-Ohio State? Or Michigan? It, you know? Oh, Michigan-Ohio State? No, no, no. Michigan State-Ohio State. Oh, if we're really getting I really want to see what they do against Minnesota. I, I think it's going to be a close game, but I think it's going to be high scoring. I really do. I, I don't think it's going to be that low scoring. I could see a 31-24 game. Something like that. I think it can be either Ohio State winning or Michigan State winning. I haven't officially decided. I'm leaning towards Ohio State, but I really want to see how Michigan State... Produces against uh, Minnesota. But I really think Sparty can win the game. I really do. But th- it's going to be high scoring. It's not going to be 16, 14. Everyone said it like two years ago when Michigan State was playing against Russell Wilson's Wisconsin, that mm-hmm. it would be kind of a low scoring affair. It was not going to be Russell Wilson in space, Jared Aberderis. They got space and they played well. This is a very similar team. Braxton Miller. And here's the thing unlike, Wisconsin- unlike that championship game, Michigan State kind of controlled the crowd. Ohio State travels way better than Michigan State, and that's not a knock on Michigan State. They're just, they have more alumni, and they have a stadium that they pack the barn, 109,000 every week. We just don't have that, those facilities. I'm just calling it as it is. Michigan State got allotted, I think, 27,000 tickets. That's a ton. You bet your life this far, the bleeding green and white faithful will be there. I think it's a tough game. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, but it's indoors. It's not outdoors. It's indoors. That could swing any way. There's no weather
3: in there. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's the thing. There's no weather at all for me. I mean, I don't know what you think the score is going to be, Lou. I think it's going to be like one of those things. We, we got time to talk about it, but here's a team that won the Leaders Division. Here's a team that won the Legends Division. It's going to be two great games. Michigan State's coming the most successful senior class in Michigan State history. I, look, best defense in the country, yes, no?
1: Uh, I think absolutely, without a doubt. Okay. I don't think, I mean, the way that they've played. Hold on, I got a few stats here. Okay. Five games, no touchdowns in the second half against. And in five Big Ten games, second half shutouts. Okay. Uh, or five games overall, no touchdowns at all, and then five Big Ten games with no second with second half shutouts. That's incredible. That's I, incredible.
0: I think that's incredible. Take the fact is, do you think b- the the Big Ten, for instance, where would you rank the Big Ten as a conference in football? Like, do you think they're like? Do you think the ACC is better? Do you think the SEC is better? Like, I personally think. Look, eh, the ACC is pretty gimmicky. You know what? No way. I like yeah. I think the SEC is the best. I think the SEC's by far the best conference in college football. That's standard. But the Big so. 10 is down this year. Can we say it's down?
3: Yes. It's I think down. we can say yeah. it's down. Yep.
0: It's down. So, Harry, what do you want to say before,
3: I, you know, I'm just like swerving you over the place. No, I I would say Big 10 is either I'd say we're third best conference behind the SEC. SEC isn't head and shoulders above the other conferences like we they have been in years past. ACC would be second for me. They got, or I mean, ACC's got Florida State, Clemson. Miami's had a couple of bad games, but they're they're Duke's nine well. two. What yeah, a story! Duke is 16th in the nation. Wow, that is that.
0: coaching football too.
3: Yep, and then Seriously. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Pac Pac 12 is pretty good with Oregon, Stanford. USC has is, is turned around with Oregon. Or What's his name? Orgeron is their interim uh, yeah. head coach? Ed Orgeron. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that. But, uh... Orgeron. Yeah,
0: yeah. What they've done <laughs> is great. The Pac-12 is decent. But here's yeah. how scary the SEC is. You have two teams in the top four in one division. Just sit back. It's the Iron Bowl. Auburn's four. Alabama's one. Now, here's the scary thing. What if Auburn beats Alabama? So now you enter the old can of worms. They slip out. They're done. They're Capital One Bowl. So now you have Ohio State that can be playing for national title. Personally, I think that would be better for Michigan State.
3: I know it's never happened before, but I think it's never happened where an automatic qualifier who is undefeated has been jumped by one lost team to make the national championship. But I think if Auburn beats Alabama, they're going to jump Ohio State, and Ohio State is going to be the odd man out still. You still think so? I still think so. I think Auburn has played a tougher schedule, and they had that quality win against the Alabama team. If they get that quality win, that's going to be huge for them. That's going to give them a huge boost in the rankings. And we cannot understate how much the pollsters love the SEC. Oh, they love them. I mean, there's just... Yeah.
4: And going back, though, to you talking about, is our defense the best? Yeah. Now, st- statistically speaking, yeah, I know, I can talk, right? Um, yes, but we're only playing Big Ten teams, and like we said, Big Ten is kind of down this year. It's kind of down. And down. And, but what might happen if we play the Alabamas, the Florida States, the Oregons, the Oklahoma States of the country? I don't know if we're going to compare. We might not be the same, but we'll at least be competitive.
0: Here's my thing, though. This is a very similar situation where Alabama lost in a game like this. They played in the Capital One Bowl a couple years ago. Michigan State was just smoked. Torched. Torched. It was a 49-7. It was a straight smoking Oh,
3: it was just an actual awful game. That game, I mean, that Alabama team was good, though. They had Julio Jones and Ingram. I mean, they're Ingram, stacked. Uh, not McCarron, but Greg McElroy. That was a team that should have been playing for the national championship. Snubbed out. They just had a couple of bad games, bad weeks, and they realized that towards the end of the season and just took out all that frustration on us. Yeah. So do you and- guys think that... Auburn legitimately have, has a chance of beating Alabama? Um,
0: they might, but here's the thing, though. Before we take a break, we'll say one quick thing. Here's the thing. If you look at – I'm looking right now at the BCS standings. Right now, Auburn, for you pollsters, Auburn's at a point eight two three six. Ohio State is a full point over that with a point nine two zero zero flat. So, in other words, if Ohio State wins and – Auburn will win. They'll close the gap, but they won't be able to jump it. There's just too much of disparity in it. And Ohio State's already zoning in at Florida State. That's .04 back. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't think they'll play the jump, but we'll take this. How about this? We'll take a quick break. We got Ryan Keener here in studio. We got a lot to talk about MSU soccer, Sweet 16. We're going to hope they can beat Georgetown because Louisville, sorry you Cardinals, you lost, and Michigan State looked real good. We'll talk about it when we're back on the pack, only on 88.9 FM.
3: You're listening to Impact Exposure.
2: For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place.
3: A lot of gang members look at you as a gang
0: member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle.
3: I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the
0: obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate.
3: People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't.
0: Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
3: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to The Impact Primetime, Primetime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
2: Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, The Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music.
5: Impact Prime time. Prime time.
0: Now back to
3: Impact Exposure.
0: That is right. We're back here on the Pact, along with Fino, the host, Harry, Austin, Faith, and Lou behind the glass, producing/slash panelists. But I love when we have in studio guests. Our last in studio guest was Brent Darnell, the hockey team. We're blessed enough to have Ryan Keener in here talking a little MSC soccer. Ryan, good to have you on the show.
5: Thanks thanks for having me, guys. Oh, dude, it's a blast.
0: <laughs> welcome welcome aboard. So, essentially, we got Ryan here talking. A big win against Louisville. one um, nothing, another double overtime. This team always in double overtime, I feel like. Seven times in double overtime, but you know what? You get Montague back. He looked great. Cope, he's playing with that rib. You know, what's the, what's the spirit like in the locker room going
5: forward? I'm very excited. I mean, the whole program's very excited. Anytime you can get in that not- national spotlight and have a chance to perform in front of that many faces. It's, it's very exciting for the program.
0: Yeah, outstanding. I mean, I was privileged enough to be at Martin Stadium. The place was rocking. The Red Cedar Rowdies, so as usual, were rocking. We're all waving scarves. So, you know, you take this game into double overtime against Louisville. You know, you know it, it seems like it's kind of an M.O. for you guys. You're, you're always in overtime. You kind of know what to do. And that's got to be a confidence builder, you guys. You have a rock-solid defense. I would argue one of the best in the Big Ten.
5: Yeah, I mean our mo is just kind of no doubt. So when we go into the game, if we go down one nothing, if we go up one nothing, it's just no doubt we're going to win this game. So we go to double overtime, and maybe the other team starts to have some doubts, but we're just no doubt, and we happen to push through. Push through. So we're very, very pleased with that.
3: Yep. Yeah, great. So Ryan, uh, guys, this is Harry talking right now. Um, first, congrats on the win. Second, congrats on that head of hair you got. I don't Thanks. know what conditioner <laughs> you're using, but I need to get on that. Yeah. But uh, no. I'm gonna throw it back a little bit. The last time the Spartans got to the third round of the NCAA tournament, we lost in 2010 to Uni- uh, University of North Carolina in PKs. And you were a redshirt freshman. You obviously didn't play, but do you le- did you learn any lessons from that loss? Do you guys take anything from that in order to prepare for this game against Georgetown? Me personally, that was my
5: redshirt year, so I didn't mm-hmm. travel to North Carolina. But mm-hmm. there were a few few uh, seniors, so Wesley Curtis, Kevin Cope, those guys were mm-hmm. there, and and. I've talked to them, and I've watched the video, and just watching the video was heartbreaking enough. I mean, any time yeah. you get to this time of year, it really is make or break. And when the, the whole season's riding on a few plays, and I, th- I think
3: everyone realizes the the importance of every play. So that, that's kind of the time of year we are in yeah. right now. Yeah, those penalty kicks are unlike anything else, else in sports. It comes down to one shot, uh, you against the keeper. But uh, you also have had trouble with injuries this, this year. I know you uh, actually opened some stitches on a header goal earlier in the year. You started bleeding. <laughs> yeah. Um, <Yep. laughs> obviously, your, your Spartan dog back there, Kevin Cope, is playing through a rib injury. You got pulled in the 46th minute of the last game. How was it like watching the last the final of the biggest game the last sorry the final the last half of the biggest game of the season so far in a, from a perspective where you used to be playing in that situation competing out there how was that um it's different but I, I have a lot of confidence in the depth of our team and i think that really showed not many
5: teams could lose a starting center back and just keep playing it as normal and so mm-hmm. that was great for our team for ben Myers stepping in and, and playing great and fatai sliding into the back and doing just fine Yep, that sounds like you got it going back there on the defensive side of the ball Hey, Ryan. It's a pleasure to meet
2: you. Um, biggest question, always a key concern for me in any kind of sporting event, is who would you say on the Michigan State soccer team is your key player in this
5: game coming up? Um, it's tough to say. I mean, everyone kind of has the roles. Uh, Kevin Cope's obviously huge for us. I mean, that's the the senior leader, the guy, the rock in the back. I mean, everyone kind of looks to him, and he's he's playing his last his last few games here and. You, you can tell. I mean, he had an amazing performance against Louisville, and you see the extra determination in his, in his face. I think he, he's probably our main guy, and guys like Jay Chapman and, and Tim Kreutz, Zach Bennett and Goal, I mean, everyone knows their roles, but I would say Kevin's definitely our senior leader that, who we look to. Absolutely. So for you, Ryan, personally, who is your biggest
2: inspiration on the team? Is there anybody that you individually look up to and you're like, wow, I really want to be
5: like him? Uh, it would probably be Kevin. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it's kind of weird because our relationship isn't so much little brother, big brother. He's just like my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, definitely, he's, he's a great guy on and off the field, a great player. And I, I've been very happy playing next to him for the past couple of years. So what's the dynamic like Um, the MSU soccer team? Is it, you know, are, are
2: you guys like a tight family, kind of like the basketball team that we have here? Or are you guys, you know, just, I, I, I don't know. I want to know.
5: Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, there's, there's lots, of, lots of joking and lots of fun between us. and uh, in, the, in the past, when I first came in, there was a little bit of clickiness, and that's all gone now. It, it's one big family, and we always preach Spartan family, and, and that couldn't be more true.
1: Now, uh, I was listening to an earlier uh, interview today, and it was uh, with Kevin Cope on the Al Martin Show, and he was talking about how defense is such an important part to your guys' game. Now, how much does that play into that no-doubt Attitude, and especially in a one nothing game going to double overtime, that's probably got to be pretty nerve-wracking there.
5: Yeah, yeah, that definitely plays a big role. And for us, it's not just our back line with defense. The thing we've kind of adopted this year is the whole team defense. So when we get shutouts, yeah, it's good job to the back line, good job to the keeper, but it's the whole team really working hard defensively that makes us tough to break down. And obviously defense wins championships, and that's how it goes. I think that's why Michigan State has so much success in all sports because that – blue collar mentality that we, from the football team, from the hockey team, everyone kind of prides themselves in defense and that work ethic. And I think that leads to a lot of success for our programs.
1: Now, also with that double overtime game, how much do you think the weather played into the fact that obviously Louisville, they're not accustomed to such harsh conditions and playing two overtimes, that's that's a long time on the field in the cold like that.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's very possible. Since we have two guys from Texas, but other than that, it's all Midwest, all Michigan guys. So we grew up in this, and it's no one likes playing in 20 degree weather. But if there's anyone that's a little bit used to it, it'd be our team. So I like our chances when we face some adversity.
4: So I'm Faith. Nice to, meet you. nice to meet you. And congratulations on your last win. That was huge. Thank you. I know uh, Lou touched on it a little bit about like the conditions of the plane, because I used to play soccer. I know like when wind comes into play, very very difficult. What nope. do you do?
5: Um, that comes back to the no-doubts. I mean, you gotta, you got to remember that both teams are playing in those conditions. It's Sometimes it hurts one style of play more than another, but in the end, we're both playing out there, and in the stat sheet, it's not going to say, oh, the wind was mm-hmm. tough. That's exactly. why they scored. So you just got to make that a non-factor and, and push through that.
4: And is it more important to play ground balls at that point? or
5: um, With the wind, definitely, because it's obviously uh, flying around a lot, but... The odd conditions on Sunday was the frozen ground. So that kind of led to a, a different condition that no one was really used to, kind of a, a hard surface that still had some skip to it. But mm-hmm. we found a way to work it out. Obviously.
0: <laughs> well, you uh, so know, Ryan, you mentioned how great, you know, Zach Bennett has been in goal. I mean, here's a guy that's a sophomore. He steps up. He's having, I would say, a career year for this kid. I mean, he's playing outstanding. So maybe you want to touch up for the listeners. How huge, I mean, you mentioned your backline that no-doubt mentality, but how big has, you know, Zach Bennett been in goal for you guys?
5: He's been huge. I mean, all you want on your goalkeeper is just to make those saves that you just, when, when a shot goes back, you don't have to go chase after it, you know, you just have that confidence in that he will hold her he will come out for it, and he's been rock solid in his decision-making all year, and I, I really wish he got some more recognition because he's had a, a great year. and. Really deserve some.
0: I mean, we're giving him love here on the pack because let's be <laughs> honest. That Louisville game, we mentioned the conditions. It's cold. It's windy. He's you know he's dealing some very tough balls out there. He's controlling the ball well. This is a kid with 12 shutouts, a 13-5 and three season, a .67 goals against average. This guy's got 112 saves. He's not getting enough love. This kid's a sophomore. He's only going to get better. I mean, it's outstanding. So here's a guy that you have to give credit to, and I think I think with Michigan State is. If, if I'm another team looking at your film, I'm saying, okay, here's a team that when they can get you know, counterattack and they can get into that final third, they're going to score goals and they're going to finish, but this back line is rock solid. You've got a goalkeeper that's young, that's playing very well, led by you said, you know yourself and Kevin and, and all these guys, and they're playing hurt. I think that's something that's got to be inspirational as well.
5: Yeah, I mean, we're very excited about where we're at right now, and we just want to keep it going.
0: Yeah, I mean, keep it going. So you got Georgetown December 1st at one. You travel to D.C. What have you guys done in preparation for this Georgetown club? They're very good. You know that. You know, they beat an Old Dominion team that thrashed Drexel. They beat them 3 nothing. So, what have you guys done to just kind of, you know, look out and see what you got on this Georgetown team?
5: Um, I mean, when we go into any game, we've, we make it more about ourselves than about them. Eventually, we'll talk about their players and what they're good at. They're a very well-coached team, and we, we respect their program a lot, but... In the end, we we really care about our program and how can we get better on our last performance. And we we feel that if we bring our A game and if we improve on what we need to, then we have a good chance in any game.
0: I mean, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, yeah, training is all about yourselves and you know just training well, having a good you know week at practice. But you know, so the listeners know, Georgetown has a very good forward front. They're very good. They got great midfielders. They have great strikers. That's going to be a task defensively. But I think if if there's a team to handle that, it's Michigan State. That's tame teams. You guys haven't allowed more than two goals in a game all season. I can't say that a lot of Big Ten teams can say that. So many shutouts. You know, Zach's got what? Twelve? I said thirteen. So here's a team that you know. A lot of people say, yeah, Michigan State's a defensive team, but they can't really score. So what would you say to the people that hey, Michigan State can't score; they're beatable.
5: Um, I mean, not scoring doesn't make you beatable in the NCAA tournament. Cause that's right. If we're not going to give goals up, and I think eventually we'll find a way to score, and that's really been working for us so far. It's
0: and, working so and, far. And, so. <laughs>
3: and we plan to get, plan to keep that going. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier how you came out early from the game against Louisville. What are you doing personally to prepare yourself for the big game against Georgetown? i oh, just doing everything you can to to get better. We'll be all right. So yeah. We'll be yeah. fine.
5: Austin, awesome. you got anything? Uh yeah, actually I have a funny question for you. Uh,
0: right. So, man's uh, always got the funny question. You know, you yeah.
2: gotta throw something crazy in there. So Harry was talking about the flow earlier. By the way, love the flow. I used to be a hockey player myself. You gotta have good hair, all right? A man with a good head of hair has a good head on his shoulders, alright? Anyway, so you're out on you're on the field, you're playing against all the elements. Tell me how do you tame that head of hair while you're out on the field? <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you have? are you are you a headband guy? Are you like, you know, put it up in a ponytail kind of
3: please thing? Please tell me or it's not pre rap or something. Or something? No, yeah. It's not doing Recently I had to justice. go to the
5: ponytail, so that's that's been uh, a phase, I guess. But I used to just let it kind of flow, but it got a little too unruly for that. Gotcha. <laughs>
0: well,
5: that's anybody, cool. I has, like that.
3: <laughs> has there ever, ever been anybody that's ever pulled on it? Like that uh, New Mexico State girl uh, a couple years back? <laughs> no, thankfully. <laughs> None of that so far. Oh, that would be ridiculous.
2: Somebody pulling on my hair while I'm running down the field. Like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't hurt me like that.
4: <laughs> What's your favorite thing about playing? Honestly, like especially with this biggest game coming up, what are you looking forward to most?
5: Um, really, playing in general, just the relationships you get from it. I mean. The games, the wins, that all comes, and the program success comes with that, but the relationships. I mean, when we get to this point of the season, a lot of what we're playing for is just our seniors because this is, could be some of their last games, and really our, our main motivation is just to let them play more and, and to have more memories with them, and that's part of our Spartan family that we like just that togetherness, and I think we really pride ourselves on that.
4: And you're working side-by-side side with Cope. So yep. you guys are, di- are a dynamic duo. Seriously, you've got a great line back there. So going with that, what is the mindset?
5: Um, I mean, you just got to take every game. It, you can't get too hyped up for it. Even The games get bigger, but we like to treat it just as another game in a way. And it's obviously not just another game, but <laughs> <laughs> we like to go in with the mindset and keep our same routine.
1: Now speaking of those relationships, what's the team's relationship with uh, your coach? I know that he's pretty close to you guys, and how much does that fuel you to go out there and win for him maybe?
5: Yeah, I would say Damon's definitely a, a player's coach, and he does a lot to, to motivate us and to get us ready, and we put a lot of trust in him with the, with the game plans, and he, he obviously gets us pumped up with his pregame speeches, and we really trust Damon's knowledge with the game, and that, that makes everything else easier in that way that he gives us the knowledge, and then we go out there and do it, and he's really done a great job with this program.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, listen, Michigan State obviously have their work cut out for them, but I think the M.O. is pretty solid here. <laughs> Defensively, Michigan State can play. they got a great back line, led by Keener, led by Cope. You know, this guy's playing with a broken rib. I mean, it's, it's just outstanding. He's in the jacket still. I don't even know how he can play in that thing. <laughs> but it's just unbelievable. Everyone here on the pack, we want to wish you the best of luck on, you know, on Sunday, 1 o'clock, at Georgetown. They're playing in D.C. Hopefully they can come back with a win, and we can maybe hope... For a Notre Dame loss, week four, so we can have another game here at DeMartin Stadium. So that's what we're hoping for here at the PAC. Ryan, thanks for coming on. It really was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk a little tigers baseball. What about this Prince Field Trade? And of course, play with play voice of the Tigers. Dan Dickerson is calling in all live on the pack, 89 FM.
3: You're listening to Impact Exposure. more variety than you'll hear on any other station listen to the impact primetime Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week monday nights from 8 till 10 the asian invasion brings you the music from the rising sun we'll bring you the latest pop indie rock and electro from korea japan and china only on impact 89 fm
2: An ordinary day, an ordinary family's living room filled with an ordinary bunch of kids. And they were doing nothing. When suddenly...
1: That's a personal foul in active activity on a sunny day.
2: Coming to the rescue was NFL running back Reggie Bush. Let's play. And play they did. There was running and jumping and laziness was crushed. Hey kids, don't get a lazy penalty. Go online to smallstep.gov for fun playtime
1: ideas. So you can be a player too. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
6: Attention
4: shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game thank you and have a good day
1: small step number 81 snack on fruits and veggies it's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy learn more at www.smallstep.gov a public service
5: announcement
4: brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services and the ad council
0: now back to
3: impact exposure
0: that is right, we're back on the pack, Fino alongside Harry, Austin, Faith, and Lou. It's good to see everyone actually in front of me, not behind a glass this time. But we lay down into our next segment, and we're talking, of course, MS Not MS- Whoa, <laughs> not MS, not MS. We're talking Tigers. Big thing is we have some a special guest. It is the play-by-play voice of the Tigers. It's Dan Dickerson. And we welcome him to the show now. You're live on the show, Dan. Welcome to the pack.
6: Good to be on with you guys.
0: Uh, Thanks, Sam. Good to take some of your time uh, to spend it with us. But um, first of all, welcome. And uh, moreover, we kind of just wanted to talk about this big blockbuster deal that went down that really shocked a lot of people was the Tigers trading their star first baseman, Prince Fielder, and dealing him for a great second baseman in Ian Kinsler. Kind of maybe want to tell the listeners how really that kind of happened almost.
6: Well, I think they probably, you know, they always have their meetings right at the end of the year to discuss kind of what the offseason game plan is, dating him his staff. And
3: even though Jim Leland
6: had decided to, to move on, I know he was part of those discussions. And I think, you know, they just go over every player. You know, what are our needs? How can we get there? You know, we probably can't increase payroll, so how can we maneuver? And to me, it, it seemed very logical that one of the things you would try to do this off season is deal Prince Fielder because of the length of his contract. He still has seven years left. I thought his performance this year was obviously, you know, it was below average for a first baseman, and for certainly for Prince Fielder. I don't think Prince Fielder likes America Park a whole lot. I, I think it's kind of gotten into his head. And then the postseason, I thought all those things just kind of added up to, you know, if you're going to trade that long-term contract, which is going to be very difficult to trade, you're probably better off to do it now while he's still 29 years old than you are a few years from now when, you know, you're, you're, he's into his 30s. So... I just didn't think they'd be able to get it done. I just didn't think the shopping market was going to, you know, produce too many teams that would be interested in the Dave's credit. You know, he found a deal, and not only found the deal, you figure they'd have to pay some of the money, but he also got a very good player, as you said, in return. I mean, they they really addressed a big needed second with a very good second baseman in Ian Kinsler.
0: I agree, and, you know, Ian Kinsler can help the Tigers immensely. You did mention, Dan, how, yes, the Tigers did flip this contract. They also flipped over $30 million dollars. It seems like a trade, Dan, that kind of works for all parties. The Tigers acquire a star second baseman, an all-star, who forget he performs in the regular season, but his numbers in the playoffs are outstanding. Prince, you mentioned, doesn't like Camerica. He goes to a park in Texas, and a park that absolutely will benefit him completely. So you look at two parties, and it looks like it was a match made in heaven.
6: Yeah, and, and, you know, Ian Kinsler benefited from playing at the ballpark in Arlington. Uh, just about everybody does who plays there. Yeah. And it won't be a surprise to see Prince's numbers go back up at the ballpark in Arlington. There's, there's something to be said for how you feel as a hitter standing at home plate in certain ballparks. And I think Texas is one of those ballparks where you feel like a hitter. It's warm, you feel loose, the ball travels, uh, especially to right field. So Kinzer's numbers may go down a little bit, but I also agree, I think that the really good hitters always adjust to their home ballpark. And the other thing that people may not realize about Comerica Park, it really, in the last couple of years, has become quite a good hitter's ballpark. And this year actually was the best for run scoring in the American League. And I think Ian Kinzer will fit in fine at Comerica Park. He's kind of a gap guy who hits home runs occasionally. And uh, I know he's hit 30, but you look at him now, probably a 15 to 20 home run guy. More than anything, you've got Kinsler and Iglesias up the middle. That's, that's a heck of a double play combination. And uh, shores up the defense, you know, to a great extent. I mean, Ola was fine at second base. Kinsler's but
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned how great defensively Not only did the Tigers upgrade. Yes, they flip this bat. But you said you have Iglesias now at shortstop. We're assuming that uh, Miguel Cabrera will move back from third base to first base. So now you have Kinsler at second. So where do the Tigers go at third base to have this whole are they going to go in the free agent market? Are they going to use that money to reacquire or just re-sign Max Scherzer? Where do the Tigers go from here for a third baseman? It's a
6: good question. You know, uh, you know some people said, hey, re-sign Johnny Peralta, it shouldn't cost too much. Well, we found out it actually cost quite a bit to re-sign. Yeah. re-sign Johnny Peralta on the open market when the Cardinals spent $50 million on him. Um, it's a good question. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. My sense of things is that the Tigers... Don't look at Nick Castellanos necessarily as a third baseman right now. I mean, I think they moved him to the outfield not only because Cabrera was a third, but also because they projected him maybe better in the outfield than at third base. I might be wrong on that. They may, they may say, hey, we saw enough of him. You know, the numbers weren't especially good in the minor leagues, but oftentimes for infielders they aren't. Uh, the last, what was it, 30 games he played there a couple of years ago, he was actually quite good. So maybe he improved to the point where they think, okay, we can at least try that. Again, my sense of things is it's going to be somebody other than Castellanos. I think Castellanos and Dirks uh, have a shot at sharing left field. They may also think now by losing a left-handed bat and shielder fielder, they need to go out and find a left-handed bat that's going to provide some punch, and that would probably be in a trade. Uh, I don't see a big splash in the free agent market for the simple fact that the payroll is still probably above 140, and I think it uh, just can't go a whole lot higher than that. You know, you still have a chance to sign Scherzer to a long-term deal, but again, I think because Kinsler, and you're paying that money to Prince Fielder for Prince Fielder the next seven years, uh, the savings aren't a ton over the life of Kinsler's contract the next four years. So I'm still not sure you can sign Max Scherzer. I think what this deal does is at least allows you to have that conversation <laughs> instead of yeah. saying, well, we have no chance. Now you at least have a, a chance to do that. So... I don't see, all a big splash in the free agent market for a hitter. I think whatever solution there is is going to come from within or, again, in a trade.
2: Absolutely. Hey, Dan, this is Austin. It's a pleasure to meet you. Nice to talk to you. So we all know that the the Tigers' back-end pitching has really been kind of our downfall, and it, it's sad. It's really it's hard for us. It, it's hard for the Tigers organization. It's hard for Tigers fans alike. My question to you is Who do you think can solve the Tigers' back end pitching failures, really?
6: Um, I think, I mean, my sense of things is that Joe Nathan is probably a very logical choice to uh, be a, a, a free agent signing uh, as a closer. I mean, I think that is one area where they will sign or will spend some money on the free agent market. I uh, hear Brian Wilson's name kicked around, which I find intriguing. He did come back from Tommy John rather strong, uh, rather unique personality, but. If they're convinced he can do the job. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about him as a teammate. As unique personality, you know, as he appears to be on TV, uh, I've heard good things about him. So, I mean, those are the two names that you, you kind of hear, I think, make a lot of sense uh, for the Tigers. I've heard Grant Balfour. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking the other two probably have a better tr- chance of being signed by the Tigers. But then again, you know, then it gets to, all right, who sets up? Um... Whoever the closer is going to be, and Rondon certainly is going to get a shot at that. You know, does Drew Smiley move back to the rotation next year? I mean, he was probably the most valuable setup man uh, in front of uh, Joaquin Benoit because of his consistency this year. So again, if you move him the rotation, let's say you trade one of the other starters, uh, then you've got to find uh, you've got to find that guy who can set up. Wherever the new closer is going to be, I think the good news is on, on that front. You can find you can find relief help setup guys. Not always, but I'm a believer that you can kind of fill in those pieces without spending a ton of money. And you can also identify those guys. This is where your scouting comes in, and you you pick up a guy in a trade who maybe isn't making a ton of money. But if you go through and look at some of the setup guys around the league, you'll see some guys who aren't making a lot of money, under the radar guys not necessarily a familiar name, who can do the job, and who have a track record. And I think that's probably the route
2: they'll go. Yeah, absolutely. I like Brian Wilson. I mean, he came back from the Tommy John. He pitched in six scoreless innings in the postseason, you know, striking out eight of them, allowing only four hits. That, those are good numbers. It's something the Tigers really haven't had. That. Now, another concern of mine is the whole Omar Infante situation. I personally like Omar Infante. Where do you think he's going to end up?
6: Don't know where he'll end up. I, I just think, you know, obviously with Kinsler now, it's probably not going to be uh, in a Tigers uniform. Would you put him at third? I don't think he would a lot of experience there. I meant to look that up the other day. But I, again, I don't picture him being the solution at third if he was somebody you could keep at a relative low cost. I, I think what we're seeing is there aren't going to be a whole lot of free agents who are worth anything at a relative low cost anymore. <laughs> Absolutely at least not, not. This year. You Everybody know, there's, is there's more money coming in from the TV deals. Every team's getting an additional twenty-five million, and it certainly looks like uh, they're willing to spend it right now. So, um, again, a free agent solutions to whatever the Tigers' holes are that they want to fill. I think that you know maybe a closer, you know maybe a low-cost free agent as a reliever, but it's just going to cost a lot of money. I think to fill any major need, and that's why I still think we're, you can expect another trade or two that will not be small.
2: Yeah, the Tigers are definitely not afraid to spend money, though, and we all know that.
6: Right. Right, but I just think they've maxed up against it. You know, even with the payroll they're losing, uh, in terms of the people who won't be back, arbitration's going to eat up a lot of that, as well as the rages that are due to some of the other guys who are here. So that's why, you know, the payroll is going to be bumping up 140 to 145 already. That's why I'm just not picturing a whole lot in the way of adding on to that.
1: Right. Hey Dan, Lou DiVizio here. Um, Hello. How you doing? I I was just wondering. You just said that uh, you wouldn't be surprised if there were a couple more major trades going on. Who do you see on the Tigers lineup, or have you heard anything surrounding anybody else that maybe could help shake out this lineup?
6: No, I I think it's very hard to predict trades. Very, very hard to predict (laughs) trades. And and as we know with Dave Dombrowski, whatever. I mean, think of how rarely you hear a whisper about a trade the Tigers are about to make before it happens. It almost never happens. Dave Dombrowski makes a trade, it's probably the first time you heard about it, even in a rumor situation. That's how good he is at keeping things tight to the bet. So it's tough to predict what kind of trade. I think you can just kind of predict what they're going to trade for. And that's, again, why I wouldn't be surprised if it was a left-handed bat, um... And you're going to have to trade somebody to get somebody. And, you know, would you trade, you know, everybody talks about Scherzer. Would you trade a Fister, who's two years away from free agency? Uh, I think you're get quite a bit for Doug Fisher. I'd hate to see him go, but, again, you have to think if you're Dave Dombrowski, all right, how are we going to fill the needs that we have if we're not going to spend a ton more money outside of, say, getting a closer? Uh, how else are you going to get that? Well, you're going, to, you're going to trade somebody of value. And the guys of value that would be most likely to me would be a Doug sister a Max Scherzer, uh, to a lesser extent, Rick Porcello, as much as I like Rick. I'm not sure you get as much as you might get for a Doug sister So maybe, you know, I heard Austin Jackson's name uh, tossed out there. I'd hate to see Austin Jackson go, and I'd be surprised if they traded him. But, again, they, they have to they have to get creative right now to fill a couple of big needs of the bat. And, you know, obviously one's at third, and then a left-handed power hitter, or at least a guy with a left-handed punch, and a, a left fielder. Now, if you're going to accomplish all those things,
1: uh, that'd, that'd be a heck of a winner all right thanks Dan. well, as you mentioned a lot of starting pitchers' names, do you think that was our strongest point this past year? Do you think that that would be a good move for the Tigers to do something like that and sacrifice their like I said their strongest uh part of their team well I mean I think you guys I think
6: they would love to see drew Smiley in the rotation so um I mean, that's why I think you might see a starter traded. I, I don't picture them trading Max Scherzer. Um, that, that certainly has been out there. I've even talked about it because I think you could get a couple of nice pieces. But if you want to win a World Series now, this the team that's built to win the World Series now, your best chance is to keep Max Scherzer. Let him go if you can't sign him and get the draft pick for him. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. But you've really you got six starters right now with, with Smiley in the bullpen. And, again, I think they'd like to have a lefty in the rotation. And uh, that's why I do think they could, they could deal one of those starters. And, again, the more I think about it, and you might ask me tomorrow and get a different answer, but the more I think about it, the more I think that Max Schuster <coughs> is likely to stay in the Tigers' uniform.
4: Hi, Dan Dickerson. This is Faith. It's nice talking with you today.
6: Good to talk with you.
4: All right, I know we were talking a little bit about how we need a closer, who's going to fill up the third base. Now, what are we specifically after? Is there anybody else that they're really wanting to fill a spot for?
6: Well, I think um, I think left field to me is intriguing because I think they would love to have just Nick Castellanos, their best-hitting prospect in a long time, make the team out of spring training. Now, would it be in a platoon situation with Andy Dirks? I don't think they're going to give up on Andy Dirks. Andy Durk actually had a very good year defensively, and there is some value in that, especially with the big left field at Comerica Park. So would it be, you know, with those two split it, are they comfortable with that idea? Because Andy did struggle with the bat this year, and Castellanos would be a rookie, and there would probably be some growing pains on his first year in the Major League. Or do you go out and look at a Carlos Beltran? Again, I think he would be expensive. I would love to have Carlos Beltran, switch hitter, play left field for the Tigers. Uh, But I'm just not sure that that's something that the Tigers could afford. So that, to me, would be one possibility. And then third base, I think, is is the question right now, because I agree. I think Cabrera will move back to first. Now, if you can't find a solution at third, would the worst thing be Cabrera staying at third and Martinez playing a lot more at first? I don't think that would be the worst thing. I think Victor Martinez actually is a pretty good first baseman. He's better than Prince Fielder. But I also think they didn't want to press the possibility of injury by playing him a whole lot. Now, we could be comfortable with Martinez playing a whole lot more at first base, you know, risking injury. That's a heck of a question. But if they don't find a solution at third base, you might see that this year. So those are some of the things I think to are weighing right now.
3: Yep. Hey, Dan, this is Harry coming your way. Hi, Harry. Um. So... Obviously the big news a couple of weeks back was Jim Leland retiring and Brad Asmus being hired as the new manager. How was it for you personally saying goodbye to a Detroit legend like Jim Leland? And then what is your what is your um, what are your thoughts on Brad Asmus so far as the manager?
6: I like everything I've read and heard. I, I was sorry I didn't get a chance to say uh, goodbye to Jim Leland. I'll have mm-hmm. to give him a phone call once uh, we'll things settle down a little bit. Uh, but I love getting to know Jim Leland through the years, having a a good working relationship and a a friendship developed through the years as well. He is one of the truly unique personalities that I've ever met in the game of baseball. I mean, if if your only opinion of him is formed from watching him in those post-game settings where he looks very unemotional most of the time, win or lose, and, you know, the hat's kind of tugged down and he doesn't really look up a whole lot, uh, that's not the Jim Lillian that I saw every day. This guy's got a tremendous sense of humor and one of the best storytellers you're ever going to hear. Uh, and those days when we would do the pregame and he wasn't in a rush to go anywhere, those were always the best days because he'd lean back in his chair and we'd just talk about whatever was on his mind about the team or about baseball or about life, whatever it was. And those, those were always, uh, to me, the, the great moments that I had with him. He's, he's a unique individual. He's very smart. And I'll never know the game at the level that he knows it, so it was fun for me to try to, through the manager's show, learn the game at that level. And I think uh, certainly I did it over the years that, you know, we did the pregame together. Like I said with Brad Osman, it's just very impressive. Everything, you know, we, we uh, my first year was his last year with the Tigers in 2000.
3: Mm-hmm. So
6: you know, I didn't really get to know him a whole lot that first year. That first year was kind of a blur for me anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. But... <laughs> I couldn't be more impressed with what people are saying about him. I mean, here's a guy who, you know, that everybody says can relate to all different types of personalities. I think that's such a big part of the whole job of managing, that ability to communicate. If you read what players want out of a manager, they want that, I think, first and foremost, that ability to communicate. They want the the smarts for lip-faces. Almost anybody who's going to be hired as a major league manager has the smarts to manage in-game. I know Mm -hmm. people will second-guess just about any manager, even the very best gets second-guessed. Yeah. But, and Brad Austin obviously is very smart. And we hear about that a lot. That ability to communicate. That ability to relate to players. To let a guy know, hey, two days from now, I'm giving you a day off. This originally was so good because this matchup isn't favorable. I'm going to start this guy against them. Mm-hmm. Most veterans like that. They like a manager who's looking out for them, taking care of him, so to speak. Um, and I think everything I read about Brad Austin, he's, he's very good at that. Yeah. And this is a guy who's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, Dave Dombrowski wasn't inclined to hire a guy with no experience, and this guy obviously blew everybody away in his interview. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> and
6: uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how he how he runs things. He's already called. He said just about everybody on the team did, you know, basically say hello and introduce himself over the phone if they didn't know each other, and uh, that impressed me. And um, I get to do the manager show with him, and I don't think that'll be will ever be a dull day doing that.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> will definitely. Well, Dan, we're everyone here at Michigan State is extremely excited for the Tigers' season. They acquire talent. They bring in a new manager with no experience. Dan, for, for myself, Anthony Serafino, and the rest of the members of the pack, we just want to thank you for taking some of your time and talking a little Tigers baseball with us.
6: Hey, my pleasure. Good talking with all of you.
0: All right, take care, Dan. Thank you so much. All right, take care, guys. Take care. Well, Dan Dickerson, a great, you know, someone great to have on the show. Unfortunately, we wish we could wrap it a little up. We got a lot to talk about next week. We'll be previewing Big Ten-ACC challenge, previewing that Big Ten championship game for Michigan State. We got a lot to talk about Michigan State basketball. Sorry, we'll give you some love. Anyway, Faith is trying to mouthpiece something. I just don't know. I just don't know what she's saying. <laughs> oh. coming out oh, next week. That's right. There you go. So for myself, Fino. Harry, Today, Harry Austin, Blue. and Lou. Hey. Everyone here in the pack, enjoy your Monday. I personally love it. And most importantly, have a happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much turkey. Let's see if the Lions can get a win against the Packers. I'm picking Lions. That's our feet on the pack. We'll take you early on 88.9 FM every Mondays from 7 p.m. to 8